So I read an article this last week, and it kind of posed an interesting question. And uh, hopefully it's not a depressing question for you. But this guy was just talking about a situation in his life, and he, he posed the question. He said, if, if you knew that you just had 24 hours to live, and you had one last chance, one last opportunity to have conversation with some of the loved ones in your life, what would you say to them? You know, what would you say if you got to have one last conversation with your husband or wife or one last conversation with your kids or with some friends and, or with your parents? What would you say? And so I, I, I was kind of thinking about it, you know, like what would be the last thing I said? And, you know, not that I'm planning on having any problems, but I am leaving the country. And I just kind of thought, well, you know, what would be the last thing I'd say? And I, 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 I don't know. I couldn't come up with anything. I, I did decide this. I would probably be really strategic. All right, wouldn't you? You would be really thoughtful about the, the last thing you said to your, the person you're married to or the last thing you said to your kids or, or your parents. And so while I don't really know exactly what I'd say, um, I do know um, the last words that Jesus said uh, before he went to be with the Father. Uh, he, and he knew that his time was coming. He knew that he was going to be ascending up to heaven. And he was talking to his disciples. And so he gave them some very, very strategic last words that I'm sure that he had thought about for a long time. And the words were so impactful and so powerful that we still talk a lot about them today. We uh, talked about them last week. We're talking about them this week and the weeks to come in this series. But he said this. Some of his last words were this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus is just saying, so anyways, I'm God in the flesh and I came down and I lived among you and I, you know, worked miracles and raised people from the dead. I went to the cross. I died on the cross. They buried me, but I rose from the dead. And you know, when somebody rises from the dead, you should probably listen to what they say. And so he says, you know, I've got all authority on heaven and on earth. So you should probably hear what I got to say. So here, here are my words to you. Therefore, a couple words, he says, therefore, I want you to go and I want you to make disciples of all nations. And so last week we talked about the disciples thing. He says, I want you to make disciples. We said not just make Christians, not just make vague kind of religious, moral people. It's not what God has called us to. We said last week where the word Christian today can mean just about anything you want it to mean. The word disciple is a very well-defined word in scripture. In fact, we talked about the fact that a disciple is basically three things. Uh, It's someone who follows Jesus. So it's not someone who looks to get God to follow after them, right? You understand there's a big difference between saying, God, I hope that you come along with with me today and, and give me power and bless me. That's different than saying, God, I want to follow you today. A disciple is one who follows God. And secondly, they identify publicly with Jesus. And third, they obey. So that's what we talked about last week. This week, I want to talk about one particular word, just one word, and it's the word go. Jesus says, I want you to go. And in the Greek, that word go means to depart or, you know, to go away or to take a journey or, or to pass from one location to another location. And so what Jesus is saying is that his disciples go out. They go from, from where they are to where uh, people who need the gospel are. That's what Christians do. And yet, um, thinking this week about how, how that's so different than the way the average, the, the, the way the typical American church approaches uh, relationship with God. A lot of churches today, it's all about like, let's do everything we can to get people to come here into this building, which again, there's nothing wrong with. There's a, there are great things that can happen, but that's different than what Jesus said. He said, go. And yet most churches put most of their effort effort into trying to get people to come. So, you know, a lot of strategies churches have today are things like, well, let's build a, you know, really big building. And then if we do, then maybe people will come. And so I'm not saying we shouldn't build. Sometimes you have to build in order to be able to 
seat people that come into your, to your structure. But, but again, that's not the basic strategy that Jesus had or churches that were like, you know, we'll put on big elaborate productions and every year, every Easter and Christmas, it's like they get bigger and bigger. And I've always kind of been amused by the whole singing Christmas tree thing. Am I the only one? I know people think it's cool. I just think it's weird. And like the Christmas tree thing. And then the, the big thing right now, if you're a pastor and you want to get people to come to your church, what, what they're telling us is you need to preach on sex. Like the best way right now, they're saying the best way to grow your church is to preach on sex. And I, when I read it, I'm like, what does that mean? Does that mean you'll grow now or will you grow in nine months? Or how does that work? You know, if you're doing series on sex, I'm not sure. Or like, you know, a lot of churches now, they're like, we're going to get the uh, top notch, you know, professional musicians. And then they'll write like cheesy versions of the popular secular songs and people like that. Or we just need a 20 minute sermon that's sanitized of everything that's offensive and exclusive about the gospel. Or some churches are like, let's, you know, we're just going to show video clips. In fact, we're not even going to have a sermon. We're going to show video clips or, you know, raffle off iPads. Actually, I read about a church this week. This is intriguing. A church, and they had a big thing in the Sunday paper um, down in California. And if you were a visitor that weekend, you got a massage during the sermon. That's just weird. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, no, thank you, you know. Um, and then, but, but here's the thing. So a lot of churches, they just go through all, all this time and energy and effort to try to get people in the building. And, and then maybe if they have any extra time and, and any extra money or energy, then, then maybe we'll go out into the community with the gospel. And now, don't misunderstand me. Jesus isn't saying that we sh- you shouldn't be doing this stuff and and I think as a church, we're always really blessed when God brings people into our church to hear the gospel. And we want to share that and we want to love people and reach out. That, that's important to us. But just don't miss the, the, the primary strategy here. Jesus' primary strategy for reaching the world is that we go, not that we stay. So now, again, this is important and this is a great place to come and to worship God. It's a great place to come and and fellowship together and to get some teaching. But this is not Jesus' primary strategy for reaching the world. His primary strategy is that at the end of the service, we get up and we go. And we go with a purpose in mind. Now, as a picture, some of us are going to Nicaragua this week. We're leaving on Tuesday. and, And our goal is basically to take gateway to Nicaragua, to, to Chinandega. And our, our goal is to go there and to take the gospel there. And it will involve all sorts of stuff. You know, there'll be lots of flying and airplanes and waiting around in airports, which is always thrilling. And, and there'll be some thrilling ground transportation by van once we get there. And there's going to be a lot of heat. It's like 9,900 degrees right now there every day. Um, there'll be digging and hard work. And um, there'll be lots of Purell, in my case. Um, but then we'll get some great food and we'll get to meet some people we've never met before and, uh, you know, be side by side with them and digging ditches. And, um, and some, you know, people have asked me recently, like, so, you know, why are you going, um, just with health stuff? And then this is March and Easter is at the end of this month. I'm going to get home shortly before Easter and kind of hit the ground running. And some people have asked like, you know, why are you going? And the only answer I really can have is because I, I felt like God made it clear. He wanted me to go. And when God says, I want you to go, you know, I've learned, you just go. You don't ask questions, you go. Here's the thing I want to share with you this morning, that the, the great news is, 
um, that life is too short to wait for the next missions trip. So we have another Nicaragua trip we're going to do in July. And if you're here this morning going, well, you know, I kind of feel like I should go on a missions trip. Maybe I'll go in July. The good news for you is um, you don't have to wait until July. Life's too short to wait for the next mission trip. God has given all of us the call to be missionaries today. Not in July or not on Tuesday when we go, but every single day. And I don't, I don't know what you think of when you think of missionaries. When I say God has called every one of us to be missionaries. And you might be thinking of maybe when you were a kid and you, know, you went to church and they didn't warn you because you wouldn't have come if they did. And there was some weird guy up at the pulpit and he kind of talked about some other part of the world where he was and they showed you slides and pictures and talked about all the poverty until you felt really, really, really guilty and then they took an offering and you gave money to get rid of your guilt and, and then they left and you left and all of that. So I don't know what you think of when you think of missionary, but Jesus really has called every one of us, not just some of us or not just seven of us who were up here this morning, but God has called every one of us to go out from this gathering today. And, and he hasn't just called us to go on a short-term mission trip. It, what what the, the scriptures teach us is that disciples see themselves as missionaries everywhere, every day. And so for the, the Nicaragua team, again, it's kind, of, it's kind of easy sometimes to think, well, we're going to go and do some, do some very interesting stuff. When I would suggest there's really nothing unique about what we're going to be doing. In fact, I've been asking people, um, who is, who do I have here? Who's my sir? Leroy, right? So Leroy's going with us. And this is your, this is your first trip with us. To, first time ever that you're going to Nicaragua or anywhere with us. And so, um, so let me ask you, so as, as a newbie, right? So where did you... What, What's your understanding uh, that we're going to be doing in Nicaragua? We are going to be flexible. <laughs> we're going to be flexible. Yes, we are. Now, that's the first thing we learned, right? So, but like, what, what, what are we going to be doing? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So we're going to do some hard work. Right? And, and, you know, it's easy to go, well, you know, they're going to Nicaragua and they're going to do some hard work and dig some ditches. But I was thinking, you know, you could do that here in Washougal this week, couldn't you? You could go to someone's house and you could help them. You could help clear out some brush. You could put a roof on a house. You could help somebody with something that's going on, do some plumbing, do some electrical, or, you know, maybe hire somebody to do that uh, if that's not your thing. Uh, we're going to be spending time with people we've never met before. Um, you could do that this week. Um, we're going to be eating some interesting food. You, you can go to Portland and do that, right? I'm pretty sure. Um, anything else we're going to be doing that's interesting? I think we're going to get to know our brothers and sisters in Nicaragua. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, again, you can do that right here. Thanks, Leroy. I appreciate, I appreciate that. I guess all I'm trying to say when I had Leroy share that was, um, it's easy sometimes to look at, well, they're going somewhere different and they're going to do somewhere different, something different. But you know, all of us have the opportunity this week. You have the opportunity to do a lot of the same stuff we'll be doing down there by getting involved in, in the lives of other people, meeting people you don't know, establishing some relationships, helping meet the practical needs of some people in your world, people around you, people in your neighborhood. See, this is what a disciple understands. A disciple doesn't think in terms of a short-term missions trip or any of that stuff. They just understand that God has sent them out. Uh, God has sent them to their neighborhood. 
to show us love. God sends them to their workplaces. God sends them to their schools. God sends them to, to, to businesses. Jesus has sent every one of us. Some of us, you know, he may only send you 20 feet this week. For some of you, he may send you 20 miles. For some of you, he may send you 20 hours. But here's the thing that we all have in common. God has called every one of us to go this week. Every one of us. And two things in your notes this morning that I want you to note that we all have in common no matter where we go. Uh, and that is this. That wherever we go, first of all, God wants us to, to keep the message of the gospel simple. Now, I'm not saying that he wants us to make the gospel simple because the gospel already is simple. Um, and I'm kind of a, I guess I'm a simple person in many ways. I, I don't wear a watch because... Here in the States, you know, there's, a, there's clocks everywhere, right? They're on your phones and on your computers and on the walls and all that. But down in Nicaragua, it's like when we're out on the farm, there's, there's no clocks out there. There's no cell phones or any of that stuff. And so um, I thought, well, I need to get a watch for, for a couple reasons. I need to know what time it is. I got to take medication sometimes. And then, you know, I want to know like how many hours are left till the sun goes down and we get to go home. Um, and then I want an alarm for in the morning, you know, to be able to get up. And so a few weeks ago, my wife and I were going to go out shopping and you get a few things. And I said, I got to get a watch. And so here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for a watch that's 20 bucks or less and a watch that I can program the alarm without having to read the manual. It's all I needed. So went to the first store and you know, you, you go through the cheap watch section and I grabbed a few watches and then she was shopping for stuff. So as we'd walk around, I'd like try to program. And you wouldn't think a watch would be that difficult to program the alarm. But we went to one store and I couldn't get, I couldn't even get to the alarm in the first store. Second store, I grabbed a few. Anyways, I think about five stores later, um, we were at Kohl's and we walked in and my wife was probably praying at this point that I could find a watch. She was really done shopping. So I grabbed a watch. I grabbed this one. And uh, so she's looking around and I'm trying to program it. I'm like, oh, I think this is the alarm. And I think I'll set it. So I set it for like um, a, a minute and a half later. And I went up to my wife and I said, if this goes off in a minute and a half, we're done. And I could see her praying. And a minute and a half later, the alarm went off. I was like, woo, I got my wife. Oh, Watch, super simple. I went home and, and then I realized I can't get it to stop beeping. Um, so that's a whole different thing. But anyways, um, a disciple keeps the gospel as simple and as understandable as Jesus made it. We don't make the gospel more complicated than Jesus. So I just say that because if you've ever read through the gospels, have you ever read Jesus talking to, to people who are not believers. And have you ever noticed how simple, how incredibly simple his message is to people? And I, and I don't understand, especially being a pastor and, and you're somebody who's kind of been educated in Christian circles and reads a lot of stuff. I don't know what it is about Christians that want to make the gospel so complicated and why we want to add so much stuff to it. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says this. He says, go into the world. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us. Go into the world and into all the world. And notice what he says, and preach the gospel to everyone. So he says, again, I want you to go. And as you go, I want you to preach. Now, that word preach is the word caruso in the Greek. It means to proclaim or, or, or to announce. And it, it, it could be to one person. It could be to 
several people or a large crowd of people. That's, so it's not the important part. He says, I want you to go and I want you to proclaim. And here's what I want you to proclaim. The gospel. So, so this gospel that he's talking about, it just basically means uh, good news. In fact, some of your Bibles in this passage, it doesn't say gospel. It says good news or, or glad tidings. So it's good news. And it's all good news. It's not, you understand the gospel is not mixed news. So sometimes when I talk to Christians, I kind of feel like, I don't know if they understand the gospel because they kind of talk like it's mixed news, you know? It's not mixed news. It's not like, well, there's a list of, of pros and cons. Um, it's not a list of, of, of a to-do thing that you have to do to get God's favor. It's not, uh, the gospel's not a bait and switch, right? It's not like, the gospel's not like... Um, drug prescription commercials on TV, right? Have you noticed where they tell you the one thing it might do for you and then the 50 ways it might kill you, right? Like, that's not what the gospel, the gospel's not like, here's a really cool thing and then there's all this fine print that you're gonna find out about later. That's not the gospel. So, so what is the gospel? Well, I'd say the gospel is just basically the fact that there is a loving God who has created us, but we are sinful people. Now, I know that that's not really popular in the world today, but hey, all you have to do is turn on the news and watch it for a couple of minutes to figure that part out. We are sinful people who make sinful mistakes, and, and, and that sin has separated us from a holy God. But because God loves us so much, the, the Bible says that, that God sent Jesus on the first missionary journey, if you will. He left heaven, came down here. He lived among us. He taught us the truth of God. He went to the cross where he took our place. And the Bible says that Jesus lived a perfect life. And yet he took our sin and he bore it on the cross. And if we'll place our, our trust, our faith in him, he'll take our sin and he'll give us his righteousness. And the word righteousness in the Bible, it just simply means to have a right standing with God. So when you read in the New Testament about the righteousness of God, all it means is that Jesus in his perfection, in fact, the Bible kind of talks about the righteousness of God almost like a piece of clothing. And it's like God gives you the robe of Jesus and you put it on. And when you put it on, then you're right with God. And, and when you're right with God, it says then, then God lives in you and, and empowers you and you, you have salvation. You get to spend eternity with him in heaven. Um, I actually, when I think about the gospel, I think of 11 words. I, I define the gospel this way. This is the gospel to me. Salvation is by grace through faith in the person of Jesus. To me, that's the gospel. So salvation. So we'll start there. We talked about this last week. Um, I want to be saved. I want salvation. All right. I don't know about you, but when I die, I want to go to heaven and I want to be with God. And that's what we mean when we say salvation, that there's more to life than this life. So here's how we get salvation. A couple of key words. The first word is grace. Now the word grace just means a gift. It means that God is offering us a gift. It's a gift you can't earn. It's a gift you can't, you can't get from God through being religious or through keeping the rules or being moral enough. That's not the way you get saved. You get saved by accepting the free gift of God. Now I say that because even, I talk to Christians all the time who still don't get this. I talk to Christians all the time who think, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm not good enough yet or I keep breaking the rules and so I don't know if I'm going to heaven and, and I have to keep explaining to people it's not how you get saved. You don't get saved based on your performance. You get saved as a free gift of God. How do you get the free gift of God? Well, that's where the word faith comes in. The word faith just means trust. When you trust in Jesus and the work that he did for you, then God gives you a free gift. And I want you to notice this. It says salvation is by grace through faith, 
in the person of Jesus. To me, that's very important. It means it's not that we place our faith in a, in a theology. We don't, we don't place our faith in a religion or a ritual. We place our faith in a person. It's the person of Jesus. Now, when I heard the gospel, 15 years old, never really heard the gospel before, hadn't had this explained to me. Someone explained this to me, and when I, when I heard the gospel, I believed. Now, I can tell you looking back, there, I, I didn't believe very much. I, I believed I was a sinner. No one had to convince me of that. I was pretty sure of that. I believed that I was made by God. I believed that Jesus died for my sin and that through Jesus I could be right with God. And that's about all I believed. Um, looking back, I did not understand substitutionary atonement. I did not understand the Trinity. I, I had no concept of the Trinity yet. Didn't know about that. I didn't understand the inerrancy of Scripture or the different views of sanctification or consubstantiation or, you know, transubstantiation or the hypostatic union or blah, blah. I didn't, I didn't understand any of that stuff. You could have said it to me and I'd have been like, What? You know, all I knew was I believed in Jesus Christ and what he'd done for me. I believed I was a sinner. I believed that Jesus was the son of God. And, and, and apparently, um, that was a message that was enough to save me. And it was a message that was simple enough that that's pretty much what Jesus stuck to when he presented the gospel. So the gospel is simple. And we need to really resist the temptation to make it more complicated than Jesus himself made it. Now, if you're like most people, though, the idea of sharing the gospel is a little scary to you. In fact, studies continue to say that about 90% of Christians say that they find it a little intimidating to share their faith with people. And I know there's a lot of reasons. Sometimes we say, well, you know, we're introverts and we're not comfortable in conversations. Or sometimes we feel like we don't know enough or we might get in a conversation and, and somebody might ask us a question and we won't know the answer. Or what if things get heated or what if a debate starts or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. And Jesus knew that his disciples would feel a little bit intimidated by that. Um, and so he had some words for his disciples and for us as well. He said this, these are super, super comforting words. I hope you find them comforting. He said this, but now when they arrest you, right? So there's a great way to start a conversation. So Jesus is just like, he's like, okay, look, um, I know you're going to go share. He's talking to his disciples. You guys are going to go share the gospel. You're going to share it with people, you know, people you don't know. Um, now here's the good news. Um, when they arrest you, so you know, you just imagine the disciples like, wait, 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 back up. Wait, when they what? Right? No, when they, when, you mean when you have the altar call and they fall to their knees and they praise God? He's like, well, no, actually, when they arrest you, I have some good news, right? Do not worry about what to say. Right? Don't worry about how to say it, right? Because at that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So Jesus just says, um, there are going to be times when you're sharing your faith and it's not always going to go the way you would hope. And sometimes there's going to be a little contention. And sometimes there's going to be a little debate. And sometimes there's going to be some friction. And sometimes there's going to be some arrests and incarceration, you know. And so Jesus says, here's the thing. Um, don't let that stop you, right? Don't, don't be like, oh, I'm so worried. I won't know what to say. And I, I won't know how to debate and I won't have all the answers. Jesus just says, don't let the threat of opposition or tough questions or any of that keep you from going and keep you from sharing the gospel. Because if you go where God calls you to go, and if you share what God calls you to share, he will be with you. 
And he will speak through you. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that happen, but I have that happen. And it's, it's always kind of cool. Like maybe you've had it like uh, where somebody asks you a question or you get in a conversation you weren't planning to have. And it happens to me a lot. It happens to me a lot because uh, sometimes you guys bring your friends to me because you don't want to answer their questions. So, you know, you have them Facebook me or, you know, you bring them over to the church and, and you'll introduce us. And then you'll say, ask him, ask him the question. And so sometimes people ask me questions and um, I might be at Safeway or Starbucks or here at the church and somebody will say, I read this or I read about this or I'm wondering about this. And I've had a lot of situations where somebody will ask me a question and, you know, I'll like be looking cool on the outside and I'll think about how to stall. So, you know, what do you think about the weather or whatever? And inside I'm praying, okay, God, I don't know the answer to that. But so many times in the middle of that, God will begin to speak through me. And I'll begin to talk to people and we'll kind of talk about things. And so many times I'll answer questions that I'll, you know, the time will be like, wow, wow, that's cool. I, I didn't even know that. That's really great. You know, and when that happens, when God speaks through you, it's such a great thing for your faith. And it's a great way to see that, that, that Jesus made promises he fully intends to keep. Uh, see, and when it happens, it's awesome because it reminds you in the end that it's really never you anyways, is it? It's always God working through you in the lives of people around you. And so my advice is keep the message simple. Just keep it simple, keep it on track, and it should be about the gospel. And that's really, I, you know, I always think sometimes like after a year or two at Gateway, I would probably just start going somewhere else because I am, I'm so predictable no matter what, what I'm preaching on, no matter what the topic, no matter what passage I'm teaching on New Old Testament, with me, it always ends up the same. Every sermon has the same ending. It's always about Jesus. It's always about the gospel because I'm pretty simple that way and because I I think, quite frankly, that that is the point to every single story and passage in the Bible. It all points to Jesus. That's something I do every weekend. That's something that you can do as well. In fact, I think Paul has some good advice. Paul says this, we preach Christ crucified. He goes, I just two things, Jesus and Jesus crucified. We are not called to preach a doctrinal ideology. We have been called to preach a person the person that we know and we love and we have a relationship. And that is something that all of us can can give witness to, to Jesus Christ. Well, that's the first thing. And the second thing that we want to keep in mind as we go is that we need to keep compassion central. So here's what you'll notice if you read the Gospels about Jesus. Jesus didn't just teach. Jesus didn't just speak the truth. He also acted with compassion. He fed people. He healed people. He loved people. He forgave people. Right? One of the things about Jesus that we notice is he's always getting involved in the lives of people. He didn't just stand up at a pulpit with some distance and talk to them and then leave. He's the guy who got involved in in the messy lives of people around him. He didn't just tend to souls. He also took care of bodies as well. And so disciples, that's what they do. They don't just tell about Jesus. We don't just talk about the gospel. We show God's love as well. In Matthew 25, Jesus is speaking to the crowd and he's talking about what the end of the age will be like. So he's giving some different pictures. What will life be like at the end of the age? And he gives us one great story that we often refer to is the, the story of the sheep and the goats. And he tells the story, says the end of the age is like a king and he has all of his citizens come before him and he separates them as a shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats. And then Jesus begins to talk about how it is that he separated them. And he says this, the king will say to the people who are on his right, that's one group of people, that, the, the sheep, 
And he says to them, come you who are blessed by my father. So again, this is kind of a story Jesus is giving us. And the person who's talking would be him. And he's talking about his heavenly father. And he would say to this crowd, come you who are blessed by my father. And take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So he's looking at this crowd and he's like just going, so it's a thumbs up for you guys. All right? Everything's good. You're getting into the kingdom. Now, let me tell you why. He says, for, for I was hungry. And, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And and I needed clothes, and you clothed me. And I was sick, and you looked after me. And and I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then I love the the response. It says, then this this group of people, the righteous, they they will look at him. They're kind of scratching their heads. They're a little confused. And they would say, Lord, um, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Right? Because they're like, we're pretty sure if we had seen you and we had fed you, we would remember that. You know, like, like if we were going out for lunch and we saw you begging for food and we're like, hey, we'll take you to Lost Dose with us. We're pretty sure we would have remembered that, Jesus. And we don't, we don't remember that. You know, when did we see you thirsty and, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger? And invite you into our home and uh, to, to spend the night. Or when did we see you needing clothes and, and clothed? And when did we see you sick? Or when did we see you in prison? And by the way, what, what were you in for? And, you know, and, and, and when did we go to, to visit you? And then the king will reply. And this is what he said. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, one of the least of these citizens, he says, when you did it for them, you did it for me. See, my guess is that if, if you went out from here today and, and you were driving down the road and you came up to a stoplight and, and Jesus was standing there with a sign that said, I'm hungry. And you, somehow you looked and you were like, hey, that's Jesus. I know that guy, you know. You would probably open the door, wouldn't you, and let him in, even if you didn't have a free seat. My guess is you'd let Jesus in. You'd kick someone else out. And you'd let Jesus in and you'd take him down and you'd get him something to eat. And Jesus is just saying... Do that for other people. Do that for them, and it's like you're doing that for me. Jesus says that he will reward every time we feed the hungry. He will reward us every time we give water to someone who's thirsty. Every time we invite people in to our home. Let them raid our refrigerator. Jesus says, it's just like you're doing it for me. Every time we clothe someone. Every time we visit the sick. Every time we visit someone in prison. Every time we travel all the way down to Nicaragua or travel next door to our neighbor. It's all the same. You understand? He rewards all of that. Disciples should be the most compassionate, caring, generous people on the earth because we have received the kind and compassionate and generous love of God and we want to pass that on to other people. And yet, and yet so often, we are so distracted by, by lesser things that we have nothing left for people that God says we ought to love. I... I was thinking this week, and now I know I'll make some people mad, but I'm going to say it anyways. So I uh, uh, already on my Facebook this morning, there's, there's comments on there. But um, this has been, I think this is about 17 years ago or so. Um, my wife and I, we lived in a, a, a different house than we're in now. And um, we had two young boys. And this was back when um, Gateway was meeting next door. We met in the little sanctuary next door. 
And if you were here back then, you'd know we didn't kind of have this big building now, just a little building. And there was a, just two uh, doors that you get into the, to the foyer. And I came to church. It was early one Sunday morning. And I came and I think I had my backpack and I had a bag and I, my hands were full of stuff. And I came to the front door. No one else is here. The doors are locked. I needed to unlock the doors, but there was this big like Rubbermaid container. You might have been here at the time. You might remember this big blue Rubbermaid container. And I'm like, well, somebody probably dropped off some food or something. I so so I'm going to get this stuff in the church and then I'll come out and get this thing. But it was blocking the door, so I needed to move it. So I was like, I'm just going to kind of kick it out of the way. So I kind of got, had all this stuff I'm juggling and I got the thing and I kind of kicked it to the side. And as I kicked it, there were two things I noticed um, that were unusual. Number one, it was way heavier than I thought it would be. Number two, it started hissing at me, which just was kind of weird. And so I was like, whoa, you know, it was kind of early in the morning. I was there by myself and I'm like, this thing's hissing at me. And I, I didn't know what was in there. Maybe a cougar or something. I don't know. It's like, you know, this thing. I don't know what's in there. I just know I'm not taking the lid off. You know what I mean? So I got in the church, put my stuff in. And I'm like, well, what do I do? So I, I call the police, you know, I call the 911. Well, what's the emergency? I don't know. You need to come figure it out. You know, well, there's this blue rubber making tape. So, so the, the police officer says, yeah, no, no, no. I don't, I don't lift lids off things. I don't know what's in there. I'll call animal control. So they call animal control who's sleeping at the time and he gets up and he comes down there and he's like, what's the deal? And I'm like, I don't know. There's this container. And so, you know, your animal control, you take the lid off. He's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not taking the lid off that thing. That, that's not happening. And so anyways, he put these big gloves on and I put some on and we put it in the back of the van. And I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, we have a facility. We take it down there. And then we put it in a cage and there's a robotic arm and the robotic arm takes the thing off. And I'm, so anyways, we're going to have church. I got to go in and get busy. I'm like, well, call me and let me know. You know, I just love to know what's in there. And, and so anyways, I get a call right before church starts. And, and this lady calls and she says, I'm with animal control. And so it's like, anyways, we put it in the cage and we, the robotic arm lifted the thing off and um, this cat came jumping out. And I'm like, of course, of course it was a cat, yes. Um, so anyway, she's like, yeah, so this cat came out and she's like, we're all laughing, a whole big thing. And then, the, and then a kitten came out and another kitten came out and another kitten came out and there were six of them, six little kittens came out. So she's like, so anyways, you know, they're, they're kind of yours because we found, you know, you found them. So what do you want to do with them? And I'm like, well, I want to get rid of them. So um, I said, well, I'll tell the church. So we had a couple services and I announced in each church service. Um, yeah, we have some kittens. I don't know if any of you took them. I'm like, we got some kittens. And if you want one, um, just go down and you, know, you can get them. So church was all over and I went home and having dinner with my family and I called the lady and I said, you know, so how did it go? And she's like, we got rid of all the kittens except one. There's just one cute little gray kitten and I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be yours. And so I'm like, I'm like, you know, what did I do to you? I don't even know you, you know? I'm like, you know, so I get off the phone, we're eating dinner, and my, you know, two little boys, and like, what, daddy? You know, and I made the mistake of going, well, there's one kitten left, and they think we should have it. You know, my boys are like, oh, sure, we should have it. So you have to understand, we kind of had a bad run of kittens up to this point. Uh, it hadn't ended well. It wasn't, honestly, it wasn't anything to do with me. It just hadn't ended well. And so there was kind of a kitten void in our life. And my wife was like, oh, you know, we're going to get the cat. So I'm, the whole afternoon, I'm like, you know, oh, I don't know about a cat. And we get a cat and you have to have all the cat stuff that goes with it. The cat fur and the cat litter box and the, you know, the meowing. And the, I took several hours like, God, you know, my kids just followed me around the house. You know, kids, you know, we'll do anything. We'll wash your car for the rest 
rest of your life. You know, we'll be nice. We'll never talk back. We won't date in high school, whatever it is. You know, there's like making all these promises. So finally, I'm like, okay. And then we, you know, we go down and we get the cat. And then, you know, so, you know, you don't just get a cat. Then you have to have the cat shots and the cat fixed and the cat toys and the cat food. And our cat wouldn't eat just any old food. And then I'd have a cat litter box and all that stuff. And so, you know, I, I guess I just mentioned it for this reason. It's, it's, there's nothing wrong with having a pet. All right, you know, even if it has to be a cat, it's okay. And, you know, in fact, I was actually alarmed last night. Somebody put a statistic on my Facebook page. Kind of freaked me out. Did you know there's 62 million cats in America today? 62 million cats. It made me think I better think twice about what I say about cats. But anyways, it's like, you know, we're a nation of pets. We, we like pets and our cats and our dogs and all that stuff. And there's nothing wrong with having compassion on an animal that needs a home. I guess I would just say this. We should have more compassion, all right? So I'm not saying don't care about animals. I'm just saying we should care more about people, people who are homeless than animals that are homeless. So whatever compassion you have for a homeless cat, we should have more compassion for a homeless person. We should have more compassion for a hungry person. That's all, all right? We should have more compassion for a person that needs. it. You know, and what's the clothing thing anyways? With, I was walking down the Target aisle. The, anyone been to Target lately and walked down the animal section with all the, like, what's with the dog clothes? Since when did dogs start wearing clothes? And then all the, like, actually somebody sent me this the other day. They said, I need this for my cat. Right? So it's like, because our... Our cat actually drinks out of the toilet. I don't even want to go into that, right? But they're like, you should just get this, and then you don't have to deal with that anymore. Okay, all I'm saying is this. If, if you have a budget for your animals, then God bless you. But I, I hope you have an even bigger budget for helping people in your life that need the love of God. All right, so I just, here's my question for you. Who has God given you a heart for us. This, this is what I found over the years as a pastor. God has given every one of us a heart for certain people. And I've noticed that we're all kind of different. We, we, have, we have different hearts for different groups or different demographics of people. So I was just thinking even in our church this week, like I've noticed over the years, a lot of you have a huge heart for certain groups of people. And I can even think of names, but like there some people in our church, they have a huge heart for their neighbors. And then some people don't, but that's another story. Like, so for some of you, you have a, some of you, when, when, when you get a new neighbor, you're the first one to their house. You're the first one to say hi. And how can we help you? And you know, you got to know, cause some of you, that's your mission field. You love, love, love to go to your neighbors. And so if you're like wondering, where do I start this week as a missionary? Start with wherever your heart is. So for, for some of you, it's your neighbors. For some of you, it's like, uh, like my wife, my wife is a kindergarten teacher. Okay, so I find kindergartners like really, really amusing, but, but she has a huge heart for them. And she teaches in a place where there's a lot of poverty and there's a lot of kids in just very, very difficult living situations. And my wife loves those kids. I mean, she is like a second mom to them. And every night when she comes home, I got to hear the latest about these kids. And in fact, it's been a really tough year for her. She has a, just a, a really neat 
needy group of kids. And she, on Friday, she said that she, she actually cried over her kids. And I was like, I know I would have been crying months ago, honey, you know, like to hear the story. She's like, no, I was crying because I realized I only have three months left with them. I only have three months left to be with them and to make a difference in their life. And that's her heart. She loves to pour her heart into those kids. And that's, that's some of you. For some of you, it's, um, it's your coworkers. You know, you love your coworkers. God has given you a huge heart. And I would say then you need to go to them this week. Go to them with the gospel. For some of you, it's sick people. So like, I don't understand that. I was talking to a guy last week and I'm like, you know, where's, where's your heart? And he's like, man, God has given me a heart. He's like, I don't really care about my neighbors. I don't really care about, he's like, but I love sick people. When I meet someone who's sick, someone who's ill, I just want to be with them and put my arm around them. And now it's like, then God bless you, you know, you can do that for me too. I'm like, I just want to get the Purell. And he's like, no, he's like, God has given me. I, I said, isn't that hard to be around people who are really sick and, and terminally ill? And he's like, it's hard, but I, he's like, I can't explain it. God's given me a heart for it. And if that's the heart God's given you, then go with that heart. Uh, we have people in our church who love to help people who are struggling financially. That's the thing they love. They love to step in and educate and help. For some of you, it's broken marriages. You love to get involved and to help there. For, we have some people in our church at single parent families. When they meet a, a, a mom or dad who's trying to raise kids on their own, they just can't sit by. They have to get involved and they have to help out with that. And for some, we have some in our church, it's foster kids. And they don't just, like a lot of us, right? Most of us would be like, well, sure, we love foster kids and foster kids are important. That's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people that God's given them a heart. That isn't enough. They have to go through the training and the certification and create room in their house because they're not just going to love foster kids. They're going to have foster kids, right? That's what they do. And then for some of you, it's like, um, it's, it's uh, children who need to be adopted, and we have several families in our church going through that process right now because it's not, they don't just kind of care about kids that need to be adopted. They're going to actually do something about that. And again, just thinking about the different people in our church, like we have people in our church, it's unwed pregnant women that they have a heart for. They can't just stand by. They, they want to get involved and show God's compassion. Um, we have people in our church who want to get involved with youth, who need a meaningful relationship with an adult. Uh, they don't have one adult in their life that they have a really good, positive, meaningful relationship with. And some of you, that's just your thing. You have to get involved. We have some people in our church who's, they have, God has given them a heart for the grieving, for the people who have lost someone and the people who are hurting over that. And again, some of us, we feel very uncomfortable around that, but for some in our church, God has given them a heart for that. And, and that's what a disciple does. A disciple figures out how God's made them and then they look for every opportunity to show God's compassion in those situations. That's what a disciple does. So a lot of times people ask me, well, you know, okay, so I'm not going to, I don't have an airplane ticket to Nicaragua. I'm not going this week. So how do I know where to go? Well, I would say start with your heart. And then for a lot of you, all you have to do is look at your calendar, you know, because <laughs> most of your, your, your Monday is already taken up. You're going to be at work. You're going to be at school. And I would say, start there. Don't just go there on Monday. I mean, go there with God. Go there with a passion. I was thinking this week, imagine if Gateway didn't send just seven people to Nicaragua this week, but imagine if we sent 650 people this week. If we didn't just commission the seven people up here earlier, imagine if every person in this church went out this week with the same passion to go that these people had. 
Imagine if every one of us did that. And here's the thing, we can. We all get to make that choice today. Are we just going to leave here or are we going to go from here as people who have been sent by God because he wants to use us and make a difference? So imagine that this week, Gateway doesn't just send people to Nicaragua, but Gateway is going to send people maybe to your home because your home needs a missionary or to your neighborhood or to the grocery store or to, you know, the coffee shops because Lord knows we need missionaries in our coffee shops, right? And to our local businesses in the area and to City Hall and where you work and to every one of our schools. Imagine if we sent all of us out this week as missionaries who go with a purpose. In Acts 1-8, it tells us this. Jesus says to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He's talking to all of us. And listen to what he says. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were. They were in Jerusalem when he said this. And, and, and in Judea. So he says, like, you, you'll be witnesses in Washougal and in Camas. And, and then Judea, that's like Clark County. And then Samaria, that's like the Pacific Northwest. And then to the ends of the earth, you know, that's everywhere else. He says, all of us can go this week with that, with that mission in mind. So here's how I want to end this today. Um, you should have got in your bulletin a little missionary prayer card um, when you came in on how to pray for the Nicaragua team. And here's why you got it, okay? Because I would never attempt personally to go to Nicaragua if you weren't praying for me, all right? Um, So what we've done is we've kind of given you a picture of the team and um, you've got the dates and when we're going and we've given you so you know where we're going and we've given you some ways to pray for us because we need your support this week. So here's what I'm telling you. In the same way that I need your prayers to go to Nicaragua for the next couple of weeks, you need prayer as well because God is sending you, if you will accept it, God is sending you on a mission this week into your home, in your schools, wherever you're going to go. If I were you, I would never attempt to do that in my own power. You need someone to be praying for you. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take out that card, all right? Hopefully you got it there, and uh, bum a pen off someone next to you. And here's, what, here's all you have to do. Write down your name. So fill that in because that's you. You're the missionary this week. Fill in your name. And then fill in your, your, your mission field. So I got a bunch of cards. I got uh, somebody who said they're going to Clark College this week. That's their mission field. Someone who's going, they were going home last night. Now it's going to be their mission field. Someone who's going to work this week. Where's your mission field this week? Where is God sending you? So just, just write that down. Be specific about that. And then how can they pray for you? So some people said, well, I, I need boldness. You know, or some, somebody said, I'm not feeling good this week. And so I just need good health. Somebody said, I'm just, I need opportunities uh, as I go out. And then you might want to put in how they can contact you. And so this is what I'm asking you to do. Fill out this card and then we're going to sing a song and be done. And then I want you to give this card to somebody. All right. So you could, you could give it to the person next to you. Um, you could give it to the person you're married to or one of your parents, or you could Walk across the room and give it to someone else. And if you don't know who to give it to, give it to me. Because I got a lot of flying to do this week. I don't like flying. And so I'm, I'd way rather pray for you than stare out the window, if you know what I mean. So anyways, uh, fill out this card. And I'll let somebody be praying for you this week. Because our goal is this. That as we go out this week, that we would all go out understanding that we have a mission. Every single one of us. Let's pray.